Disturbing Interest is a Horrible Histories, Terrible Mysteries podcast. The past, and sometimes the present, are often a bleak place. Listener discretion is advised. If you're a fan of Disturbing Interests, please like and subscribe. And for the love of God, tell a friend about us. Pretend you're a Mormon. Go door to door with the good news of Disturbing Interests. Preach our gospel, brothers and sisters, and non-gender binary siblings to the world at large. Because remember, with us, you might be disturbed, but you're not alone. Welcome back to Disturbing Interest, everyone. I am Regina King, your evil queen, and sitting in her own lovely house is my ever-beautiful partner. Hi, I'm Lynn, your docent of darkness. Yeah, you are. How you been? You know, uh, well, there's ash raining from the sky. Yes. So that's cool. And I got my 47th, I think, I, I lost count, booster shot a few uh, days ago, which knocked me on my ass. But I'm full of the Omicron juice. So I don't want to say come at me, bro, to the virus because I'm don't please don't come at me. Please stay away from me, virus. But I'm now, you know, in a larger code of protection. So that was pretty cool. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I will be enhancing my cone of protection as well. And that's going to be before our show. So yay. Um, A reminder to everybody, we are having a live show. We are performing Saturday, uh, I want to say right around the 11 a.m. hour at uh, Pacific Northwest True Crime Fest. And the winner, uh, the winner of our giveaway is Aaron Wilcox. So thank you so much, Aaron. We look forward to seeing you there. Um, anyone who wants to meet us, we are going to have a table set up and we will have some giveaways um, at the table if you get there within time. But directly after our show, we are actually doing an interview with Podcast Magazine. Shocking, I know. Um, so we won't be available directly after the performance, but we will be available before and after that. So we look forward to seeing you there. That's exciting. Yeah. You'd be like, wow, you, you're people we are we're not robots we're not an algorithm we're not in the metaverse i know that our voices are just so soothing and lulling and 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 don't make me want to throat punch myself every time that i edit this but um yeah no we're not robots this is real these these lovely not nasally or harsh sounding voices are totally not robots yeah no no algorithm would be like let's find someone that sounds like if minnie mouse and rizzo the rat had a mid-atlantic daughter there you go and that would be me so yeah (laughs) although okay you know you've seen the ai art thing that everybody's into right now have you experienced loab no oh gosh okay listeners and reg you're gonna love this one so just Google Loab, L-O-A-B, and prepare to be like, oh, God, no, I didn't want that in my eyes. So there's this figure. So you know the AI art bots are really bad at making actual human faces. Like that, yeah, they're not they cool at that. There is one figure that keeps appearing that looks like something out of, like, she should have her own show on Shudder. She's just a demon woman. And someone on the internet noticed this type of figure this face that the ai seems to constantly make when asked for a woman and uh, he has named her loab oh my god yeah and just google loab and then the best part about it 
Chuck Tingle, the erotica writer who never sleeps. Uh, the extremely online Chuck the Tingle. the greatest author of our time. Yes. The Bigfoot, the sentient planes, all of these things you two can have consensual good times with via the, the mind of Chuck Tingle. Immediately, Chuck Tingle wrote a tingler called Loab Finds Love. So <laughs> I, I just quit the internet now. We're done. We've, it's reached its apex. We're good. <laughs> So yeah, that's oh my, my little God, contribution. This is horrifying. This yeah, is that... straight out horrifying. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. I again, welcome, welcome to welcome to Mark Zuckerberg's internet. This is where we're at right now. These are yeah. the things the, that know, my this, nightmares are made of. The pre-apocalypse is much stupider than I thought it was going to be that we're living in right now. But you know, okay, I'll take it. Loab, Loab it's... probably comes out of the back rooms. There you go. That's where she lives. It is the slowest, stupidest apocalypse that I have ever experienced. And you, you still have to work. That's what I love. You don't even get to like go out and like make your apocalypse outfits. You could strap yourself to the front of a of a truck with spikes welded to it and be like, nur, 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 like you're the doof warrior. No, you got to go to work. Like this is dumb. You still have to have like, you know, business casual clothing shopping. I hate it. I hate it. It's all it's all very stupid. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's the dumbest I was of times. more metal than this. Yeah, it's really not. It's just kind of oh, all right. We'll just tweet about it then. Oh, the oral is ending. Let me let me come up with a tweet about that. But yeah. <laughs> let me just tweet about the end times. We on a side note though, uh in our lives, uh, it seems like things are getting busier for us. In fact, I was just in a magazine that dropped yesterday. Oh, fancy. Our time now. Um that'll be like a week from earlier for you guys but yeah uh pinup plus magazine i was featured Ooh. in that as one of the the models and the uh foxy ladies i know right how That's wild pretty exciting. is that it, it it was it was neat it was neat i got to work with a photographer i really liked um my uh, modeling assistant is actually going to be working with us as our assistant at the show so lots of stuff happening lots of stuff happening um, our release of disturbing travels has been been postponed it has postponed? been postponed postponed <laughs> a bit because just quite frankly guys we are you know us, we hit our busy season starting right about now, and we decided to keep on working on the podcast and our side hustles, and it's um, kind of eaten up some time, so yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, my job is stupid starting like from now, basically, because mm -hmm. I, I, I am a Christmas-based entrepreneur. <laughs> Ooh, that's weird. So yeah, it's, it gets dumb. It gets, starts yeah. to get dumb about now. So it may be 2023 before you get disturbing travels, but we will be coming to you. So, you know, just know it's coming. Yep. You'll, you'll get to, to see us. I don't, I don't, do you want that? I don't know. I don't know. Do but you we'll, want we'll give that? It a try. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. Anyhow, what kind of uh, unholy concoction are you drinking today? Well, because it's the brunch hour that we're actually recording this, uh, I found a mimosa in a can. It's Mimosa Classic, and it, it has a little sign on the front that's a little little note on the front that says, made with the finest wine and freshest juice under the sun. And I'm like, sure it is. Sure it is. <laughs> so this is a Soleil Mimosa Classic. So it's, um, oh, it didn't even, yeah, it was kind of a dull thud. It did, it yeah. it sprayed a little. I'm a little, I mean, oh, 
I don't like that smells not it smells like cleaner like it oh, smells no. a little like cleaner I'm gonna just taste a little um oh no no okay oh so what it tastes so that's like that's the gift that keeps on giving is what it sounds like okay so I, I don't know if you guys got to have these if, if I'm just old but for the, the people that are old in the audience when you were like a kid and you had orange juice at like camp or like the free breakfasts at school or whatnot there would often be like super tiny cans of uh like orange juice or or pineapple juice included in that that was sort of like and you would open it and it would taste a little bit like tang and also a lot like can that that is what this tastes like but with like Aww. a weird um like a ah uh, like a pine like is it pine that i'm tasting no pine, so pine? i don't know it's <laughs> well that's a ringing endorsement yeah, for I mean... a mimosa in a can <laughs> is this pine it's not, is this pine is it pine salt that i'm tasting no it's a pine salt it's not the worst thing I've ever drunk. It's, but it's, um, it's We've not. We've heard some of the things you've drank on here. That's not a, a ringing endorsement either. It also, again, all of the can taste that you get, um, with the canned wine often adds this little metallic tang that I'm always like, blood, I'm drinking blood. So I feel like maybe it's, is this what communion is like? Cause you know, the body and the blood. And you're thinking, oh, maybe it's a little blood. Maybe that's what I'm, I'm tasting Jesus. Maybe I'm tasting a little <laughs> Jesus. I don't know. Don't ask me. That is not my that is not my 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 area of religious expertise, but it's um it's sure something. This is something. I'm it's, sorry uh, you broke yeah. me with I'm tasting Jesus. Tasting a little Jesus. It's got hints of Jesus in it. It's um it's something. It's a nah, nah. tastes of blasphemy. We're, we're just going to call it a holy experience oh god now we've lost half the listeners are like well i never then, then we get to if we start joking about the queen dying that's it the whole audience base is gone i just hope the corgis are okay that's all i'll say i'm not a big fan of monarchy i really don't enjoy empire and colonialism that's bad times but the corgis are cute and we'll leave it at that i like the corgis i uh i heard that Ireland's been celebrating for like a week. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool thing. Remember, like, if you even heard about the Irish potato famine in school, it was sort of left foggily, and you were like, oh, oh my gosh, maybe the crops failed. Maybe the ground was sour. You know, like, the, po the potatoes just didn't live one year. No, no, that's not the problem. There was nope. some potato blight. There was, the crops were the greatest, but they were okay. The reason that half of Ireland fucking starved to death was that England was like, Ah, uh, we want some, uh, you know, oh, we'll need these for our fish and chips. You can't just have fish, so we'll take your chips. And basically starved an entire island of people because dicks. So, yeah, they got reasons. They got reasons. There are reasons there, yeah. Oh, God. And, like, ha like I don't know, two-thirds of the world is probably like, woohoo, because, like, two-thirds of the world at some point got colonized by the British. So, I, I get it. It's not that they're mean. It's that they're like, could you look at our history? blood diamonds etc come on guys so like yeah yeah there are a lot of countries that have independence days celebrating their independence from england and like then us if you, yeah like us and if you look at it i mean england does have a holiday where they celebrated a fail coup against themselves so yes even england doesn't like england yeah <laughs> so like 
yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, let, let them have it is what I'm saying here. You know, let them have it. I, I'm going to let everybody have Like, if you're sad because you're like, oh, it's my history and my my Britishness. Okay, fine. Sure, whatever. If you're like, woohoo, because like you destroyed half my country. Yeah, also, yeah. Oh, no. Hey, I get it. I get it. You know, I'm, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, mostly I'm just like, hope the corgis are okay. You know? Yeah, I, I've never really had any strong, particularly strong emotions towards any English royal, except for possibly Richard III. And, uh, right? Just like that guy. We uh, recorded an episode where I did a whole story on Richard III that got fucking chopped. So <laughs> I think that's where that comes in for me. <laughs> I just feel like kings are usually dicks. And, like, I don't know. I'm just as. I, my little commie self gets kind of annoyed by the idea that just because you were born with a special magic bloodline, you get to be the king. Like, I don't even like that in fantasy stories, you know, the chosen one and that kind of shit. So like, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, nah, it's not my thing. Speaking of fantasy stories, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Oh my God. Digging it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Digging it. Yeah. I loved it. That show's great. Yeah. 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 And the diversity makes me super happy super happy super happy uh mrs dwarf lady what what is i don't remember her name mrs dwarf lady the the lady that's like durin's daughter-in-law yeah. the lady the dwarf yeah. the short dwarf lady i love her she's a queen queen i stand yeah. her and like the ewok hobbits oh my god ewok hobbits i love them they're great <laughs> it's so good and i love how much of a badass galadriel is oh battle angel galadriel yeah i'll yes. take that that's fine yeah. i enjoy that yeah. Yeah, I'm here for that. Yeah, no, I, I like the show. And if you don't like the show because there's diversity, just stop listening. Go fuck yourself. Go, you know, please go think about your life choices under a tree somewhere. Uh, but if you, do, you know, some people are like, well, it's not the Silmarillion. It's fine. It's it's Lord of the Rings well-made fanfic. That's fine. Yeah. I love this. Yeah, it's a this ripping yarn. Yeah. And, and, and for all of those people out there that are like, well, there were no Black Hobbits. It, are you it's fantasy there were no hobbits shut up yeah, there's a black elves i'm like uh elves, elves? You know, like, this is dumb this is super dumb it could be green shut yeah, up it's come on it, it, fantasy fantasy reflect should reflect everyone the people who are in are making it enjoying it right now and that's what we all look like we're a big yeah. beige potpourri slumgullion of cultures and that's cool that's, However, I think that's what's going to save us, frankly. I have to say, one of the funniest takes that I did hear about all of the the hype behind the Rings of Power and diversity BS that's out there with people being upset about it. One guy I, on a, a morning podcast I listened to, his take was, you know, I'm concerned about the genocide that had to happen in between Rings of Power and Lord of the Rings to get the Shire to look that way. Right? Right? <laughs> the, the best, the, the thing I heard that I was like, yeah, that's true, uh, was, a, was a tweet, and I'm sorry, I don't remember who tweeted it, but smart tweeter, was that if this is supposed to be based on, you know, people are mad, well, it's based on medieval uh, England, so it's supposed to look like that. First of all, there were people of color in medieval England, but the part that I thought was hilarious was like, yeah, I'm more concerned that, like, it's not that there's no black people, but where'd they get the potatoes? Yes, right? yes. 
Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh, I know exactly which one you're talking about. That was yeah, so that funny. Yeah, that was funny. But yeah, it was, yeah. it's fun. It's a ripping yarn. Just let people like things. Let people have things. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be a dick. Yeah. And if if you are a, a racist bigot and you're mad about the show, good. Don't watch it. More show for my eyeballs, asshole. <laughs> Cuz that's how that works. That is exactly how it works. <laughs> Anyway, you've got a, a good story about oh, yes. a stupid person for us. I have stupid criminals in my backyard. Not literally my backyard. I have stupid raccoons in my backyard, but... Tanuki Waterland! Oh, it's coming. I got a pond. The pond is dug. But I, I got to witness the aftermath of an audaciously stupid crime at my very post office. <gasps> Our so, post office, our Ballard, Ballard post office. Ballard, the beloved. So I, as you all know, I love the Ballard post office. And any anything that people do to thwart, harm, even annoy my beloved postal workers there, I will cut you uh, for their honor. that's where the stuff you send us gets sent. Yeah. They, they are the people handling the packages you send us. We they are delightful them. there. They are, they are highly competent uh, American professionals. But... I went, this was several weeks ago, I went there to, you know, drop off packages like you do. And I got to the front. So the front of the, the post office, it's like a big old sort of mid-century kind of building, right? It's brick and then has a bunch of glass windows in the front. And like a little, po uh, the the parking lot kind of runs right up to the very front of the the building. There's, it's, it's like a weird little kind of almost a ramp going up there. Yeah, but, it's weird for Seattle, for sure. Yeah. It's more like a Midwestern kind of building. Yeah, and it would be extremely easy to literally just drive up and into the building, which yeah, is what happened. But... Yeah, <gasps> so I get there, and the front windows, like where the doors are, are all plywooded off. And I thought, what the hell happened here? Did it break? Did somebody try to break in? And then I, op I get inside, and when you enter the building, there's kind of a big lobby on one side, and then the actual postal... Um, counters on the other and in the lobby about i would say 20 feet back like kind of where the postal lockers are uh back is where a, our p.o boxes yeah where our p.o boxes is there's also a automated postal center which i if you're listening from outside of the u.s is like a little mechanical like an atm looking device that you can it's go up kiosk. to and kiosk it's a key an electronic kiosk you can go up to to buy stamps there's a little scale you can weigh packages. That way you can avoid being in the line. If, if you know, it gives it like an additional way to dispense postage. It's an additional way to make me avoid people, which I love. Sure, yeah, and you know, but it's it's over and it's gone. And there's a bunch of rugs kind of on the floor leading up to it. And I'm like, what the fudge happened here? So I get up to the counter and I'm like, what's up with the door? And. <laughs> And the postal worker I talked to, just as she saw, she goes, oh, God, okay, here's the story. So what had happened was that we have had in Seattle a rash of ATM thefts, wherein the criminals will take a truck. In some cases, they've stolen, like, a little backhoe, like one of those little rental uh, construction equipments, like for diggers that you can buy, you can rent for doing construction projects or garden stuff in your in your home. They've stolen those driven over to the nearest uh, ATM that might be outside of a grocery store or a convenience store, wrap that in a chain and drug it out, like used it to pull the machine out from the wall and take it with them. This has been a thing that has happened multiple times in the Seattle area. 
And wow. these these assholes decided, well, I'm going to do that with the APC, the automated post. <laughs> but the joke is on these dipshits. And this is, I mean, this is audacious. Usually these were, these would be done on ATMs that were outside. No, yeah, this sucker. And not only that, but I mean, that's a federal yes. facility. That's, that's that, a big time crime. Yeah. You don't, you cannot, do not fuck with the USPS. They will put you in the big, the big penitentiary. Well, and the joke is on these dipshits because that the the postal center doesn't take cash. You can only pay with a credit card, so there's no cash in it, and there's not even stamps in it that you could sell on the black postal market because it prints the stamps up um, electronically as you enter it. So there's not even there is literally nothing of value inside this machine, but like this hilarious paper and stickers. Yeah, so. Wow. And they still haven't replaced, it's been month, like almost a month, and they still have not replaced the postal center nor uh, really fixed the door because, because you know, we don't fund infrastructure in America. No. It's uh, no. go fuck yourself is yeah. basically our- Well, also yeah. it's the postal system and they got completely defunded. Oh, yes. And uh, Louis DeJoy, what a, what a neat guy. He's still there. He's still there. So uh, Biden, could you get on that? Get that fucker out? But yeah, so it's uh that was my, that was my dumb tale of what the fuck crime, uh and yeah uh it, so our criminals are extra stupid, but apparently extra desperate. So <laughs> just yeah, letting you know. Uh, and don't get any got ideas. Away don't with do it? this. Yeah, no, I don't believe anybody. I last time I was there, they were like, yeah, I haven't heard anything. So yeah, okay, okay, well, that's that is special. That, that is a isn't whole that lot a magic. Yeah, it's a magic crime right there. So I, I raise my uh, Jesus mimosa to you, dumb criminals, for uh, your attempts to enrich yourselves through the USPS. But uh, it didn't work. Sorry. So in Ballard, they have the Viking Museum. And I've been thinking about going over there, considering like Vikings have permeated my fucking life lately. Which, I, you know, I, I kind of have Viking burnout. Uh <laughs> You've been pillaged one too many times, damn it! A <laughs> little bit, a little bit. Uh, I kind of have Viking burnout after uh, doing this story because it had a lot to do with Vikings, and I was already in the middle of, like, a Viking binge hole, it seems. Um, but yeah, yeah, so Vikings, so we're, we're going to dive into them, and I may eventually end up at the Viking Museum, but not for a while, I think. <laughs> Did you know that I am unexpectedly, secretly a Viking, and I did not know that? How 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 are you a? Secret how am Viking? I a Viking? I did not know that. So, you know, last year I just said, okay, they had a sale on the ancestry.com, and I wanted to do it because I wa I wanted to give the government my DNA, which I know a lot of you are like, don't do that. But I'm like, look, if they want it, they'll just take it. They'll figure out a way. You know me. I'm like, give the government your DNA. Well, yeah, because I wanted to bastards out there catch them. <laughs> right. It, you know, I was like, I, I want to put myself into, into Jed match. Look, you know, I don't love a carceral state, a cab, all that sort of stuff. Sure. But I also do like the idea of families getting some closure and some justice with cold cases being solved through familial DNA. So I was like, all right, I'm going to put my put my genes into the pool just in case some distant cousin is a freaking serial killer. Cause who knows? I know my family. We're kind of, we got dirt bags. Everybody's got dirt bags. Right. So we, I mean, we could be in that heard list about my family. So right. yeah. Yeah. 
so I did that. And then they give you, you know, I don't really care. Like, I don't care about the rest of it. But they did the whole, here's your your genetic makeup. This is what your ancestry is. And I was like, all right, I'll click on that. Like, sure, fine. Okay, whatever. And it was like, you're like a super Scandinavian. And I'm like, the fuck? I'm not. I mean, <laughs> I, if you look at me, I do not look like a Viking. Like, I or what we think a Viking looks like. Then I was like, well, Bjork, technically a Viking. I do kind of have a little Bjorky thing going on there. Holy shit. M maybe they're right. And they keep refining it and refining it. I don't know what metrics they use, but every time it comes back, it's like more Scandinavian. Huh. Specifically Iceland, which makes sense in, in that a lot of my family is from Scotland. So, you know, I have a lot of Scottish. I have a lot of Welsh in me. Uh, then a bunch of sort of Germans and Poles and Latvians on uh, Barry's side. But my mom's side is all like, you know, British Isles, generally the parts that are a little bit happy about the queen being dead. Uh, so, but it was fascinating. Like it just keeps getting higher and higher. And like, I was like, whoa, I, I guess so. I am built like an Icelandic pony. So that's, you know, that's something. Well, I will say, I, I talk a little bit about, you know, kind of um, the typical assumptions of Vikings, but really, they were everywhere. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> they went and raped and pillaged my ancestors, so, you know, there you go, I guess I'll, uh, I, yeah, I guess I'll go try some, I do like Brennivin, and I do like the hot dogs of Iceland, uh, I like the sweaters, I like the Jolikotrin, and the December book flood thing. So I, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, we keep on saying one of these days we got to make it to Iceland. Oh, and yeah. one of these days we've really got to make it to Iceland. And invite us, Iceland. We'll go. Yes. Iceland, if you are listening, invite us. We are your peoples. Yeah. Clearly. Um, apparently. Well, I guess apparently I am. She's your peoples. Yeah. I'm just a spoopy bitch who wants to go to Iceland. So, um, yeah. But today's story... A nice segue from your Viking oh, yeah. into my Viking. Uh, <laughs> I I love this woman. She is she is one of my heroes. She truly is, and uh, and a saint no less. So today's story is about Saint Olga of Kiev, and um, I, I've got to say, at, guys, when you look at pictures of Saint Olga, like the all of the icons. <laughs> iconry that's gonna come back like all those saint images they all look like she's either throwing shade or she's looking at you like yeah go ahead fuck around and find out because saint olga of kiev is the patron saint of fuck around and find out is she the, the patron saint of side eye oh yeah oh hard side eye um Anyway, but references for this episode come from the Primary Chronicle, which is, for those of you who do not know, one of the main forms of uh, historic knowledge that we have on this section of the world during this time period. The podcast, Scrapped History and Ridiculous History, who I've always got to give a shout out to Ridiculous History. Those people there are brilliant. And the websites abouthistory.com, of course, Wikipedia, the National Catholic Registry website, which, let me tell you what, really surprised me to be on, History Channel, and History Answers UK. 
so I was kind of crawling all over the place, didn't get the opportunity to read the book that was written about Princess Olga by the Russian historian, but I, you know, did my best, so. That, that sounds like a lot, yeah. They all had history in them, so that's they good. <laughs> One of them was History Channel, but, you know. Uh... Channel, book, you know, it's all a medium of some kind. <laughs> So when I think of absolutely incredible badass women, Princess Olga, Queen Olga, Olga of Kiev, Saint Olga, Breaker of Chains, Mother of Dragons, whatever you want to call her, she's definitely one of the first ladies who jumps to the forefront of your mind, or my mind. The Olganator. The Olganator, yes. And you might ask, Regina, why does a saint join the same ranks of badassery as women like, oh, Queen Boudicca, Granil Numali, the Lioness of Brittany, and Princess Catulan? Well, my dear disturbed listeners, I am here today to tell you all about one of the bloodiest saints in history. Nice. Not one of those saints that's like, here's a plate with my eyeballs on it. Like, no, no. Okay, cool. No, she was not one of those saints that's like, I'm going to give my life for you. No, she's like, I'm going to reap your soul. I'm going to take your life for me. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Yeah. Okay, cool. Sure. Let's do it. My kind of lady. It's the apocalypse. Let's go with an apocalypse saint. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Saint Olga of Kiev is known as the patron saint of widows and converts, with the epitaph equal to the apostles. Wow. Right? But unofficially, like I said, she should be considered either the patron saint of fuck around and find out or the patron saint of revenge. St. Olga was born somewhere in the time period between 890 and 903 in Pleshkov, and she was of Varangian descent. Now, the Varangians play a big part in the story, so I figure it might be a good idea to know who they are. And the first step to do that is to understand a little bit more than the standard knowledge about Vikings. With the surge of TikTok we have seen the re-emergence of Viking culture, or at least my feed has. And, you know, that may be from a personal love of feral-looking warriors with epic hair and leather who uh, look like they're just waiting to conquer something, or because of a deep-seated interest in their fascinating history, Vikings seem to be in vogue again. However... It seems that the most common knowledge about their history is just that they were seafaring folk that raided, pillaged, and destroyed. This is a vast understatement. They were fierce and often brutal, yes. Yes, they were. But they also had a very complex and unique society, religion, and culture. I mean, absolutely, they were complex. And the Varangians were the descendants of the Vikings, the first Vikings that settled in the modern-day Ukraine, Russia, and Belarus area that at that time was known as Kievian Rus. Our story, 
begins in the time before they had converted to Christianity and where they still considered they were still considered pagans and worshippers of the old Norse gods. This becomes important later. As warriors and seafarers, they were responsible for opening up the trade routes with the Byzantine Empire. And how, you might ask, when no one else could? Well, it resulted as a kind of stalemate between the two groups. The Varangians, also called the Kivian Rus, like the region, pillaged the Byzantine Empire, eventually laying siege to Constantinople, their capital, but failing to seize it. Though the Varangians were fierce, they often lost in combat scenarios with the Byzantine, but they were able to force trade open because they won enough battles. They were just brutal enough. Just enough. Look, I, I like this. I'm, I'm fine with a culture that's like, you know what? We just, you don't have to excel. We can just be fighty enough. 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 Yeah, just it's enough. fine. Yeah. Good with that. Yeah. So why do I set this historical stage like this? Because I feel it's important for us to understand the kind of sa- stage our central character was acting on for this tale. It's important to understand her motivations and why she did the things she did, I think. In a time when women had no rights, vagina first, and were used as property to be bartered and traded to enhance the position of a man or his power, the Viking culture is one of the only ones that were progressive enough to believe in things like divorce female warriors known as shield maidens, and even often following women as their leaders. So it's understandable to see how a woman born of this heritage would be the type to dare others to fuck around and find out. Olga was married at the ripe old age of 15 to Prince Igor Igor I of Kiev. Now, of course, when you say Igor, Igor, I'm picturing, of course, Marty Feldman from Young Frankenstein. <laughs> Igor! That's, that is actually, I, that's part of my notes. I made a little, a little bracket about that. Yes, yes. Olga Frankenstein. There you go. All yes. right. So according to the Russian historian Alexei Karpov, who, he is the one who literally wrote the book on Olga called The Princess Olga she was 15 before that there were kind of you know dodgy accounts to how old she was somewhere between 14 and 20 is what they're thinking but but he says 15 and i am going to pronounce it igor but yeah the young frankenstein in me really wants to say igor because you know my mama didn't raise no gene wilder haters oh no 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 Fears. I do fear Gene Wilder, but I don't. <laughs> Anyhow, Prince Igor the First was the son of Rurik, who was also of Viking descent, descent or Varangian, and founded the Kivian Rus dynasty of the Rurkids or Rurik dynasty, which held power until about the 13th century, in the middle of the 13th century. 
which is a pretty impressive length for a dynasty in such a war-torn area, especially. When Rurik had passed, Igor was still too young to assume the lordship, and so instead it was entrusted to his guardian, Oleg, until he came of age. And it's still hotly debated on what the relationship Oleg actually had to the Rurik dynasty was, but the leading belief is that he was Rurik's brother-in-law. So he was um, Igor's uncle. He was also known as Oleg the Prophet, or Oleg the Seer, and was the Varangian who laid siege to Constantinople, forcing the trade to be opened between the two people. Part of the troops that answered his call for this assault was a clan known as the Drevlians, who Oleg had previously forced to pay tribute to Kivian Rus. I'm sure you're wondering, much like I did, why he was called a prophet or a seer. My first thought was that it had to do with some kind of crazy Viking witch shit. Anyway, according to the ballad of The Song of the Wise Oleg, a pagan priest prophesied that Oleg would die due to his horse, deciding that it was better to be safe than stallion fodder. He got rid of the horse, and that should have been the end of the story. <laughs> but oh, 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 our buddy Oleg was a curious chap, and one day he asked what had become of the horse that was supposed to be his downfall, and he was told that it had died. In the seeing is believing tradition, Oleg then asked to be shown the remains of the beast. He walked up and nudged the horse's skull with his boot. And out from the skull slithered a snake, which bit him, causing nice. his death and leading to the prophecy being deemed as true. Wow, that horse was like, gotcha. <laughs> that horse was playing the long game. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll die. And then a snake will come and, and nest in my skull. Long game. Hey, look, never underestimate the vengeful nature of the horse. They are a crafty and wily beast. Yes, they are. And they're pretty because they're ponies. But yes, yeah, never, yeah. Don't never cross a stallion when death is on the line or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I do believe there's a movie about that. My vengeful pony. Friendship <laughs> is murder. Death of a dream. In reality, it's likely that Oleg actually fell in battle leading raids in Persia, but you gotta love a good prophecy, especially when it involves snakes and horse skulls. Right? So. Yeah, if it involves <laughs> horse vengeance, I am here for it. I am absolutely here. My my actual last name, Roskampf, means like horse fighter or warrior on horseback, so I'm team horse all the time. <laughs> We're the writers of Rohan, dork edition. Oh my gosh, I love this so much. Today we figured out that you were uh, from Rohan and a Viking, so yep, this is I, perfect. Yes. Yeah, I guess I'm, yeah, that's me. I'm just ready to be like, I am no man. So yeah, it's a, <laughs> except see, I'm a two in one because I am no man because I'm a lady, but also a hobbit. So yeah, yeah. look yeah. out, Witch King of Angmar. I'm coming for you. Me and the ghost horse and its snake head, we're coming for you. <laughs> me and the Mary Lude, we're going to rap battle you to death, buddy. So 
what I am really impressed by with this is it just really goes to show you how like old school bullshit through song format can can live and persist through the ages. <laughs> anyway, surprising though it may be, Oleg really did end up passing on the power to Igor instead of like seizing the throne for his own lineage like so many people did back then when it came to rights of secession. But since the histories of this time period and area of the world are minimal and muddied at best, and pure fiction at worst, it's hard to tell the true nature of what their relationship was like. It's said that Igor also besieged Constantinople twice, but lost half of his ships to the fascinating and mysterious Greek fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's basically like ancient napalm. Yeah. Something that fascinates me. It did lead to the favorable treaty with the Emperor Constantine VII, though. Like, he may have lost half of his fleet, but the treaty that was signed ended up being the most favorable between the two uh, societies. You remember me telling you about the Drevlians who fought with his his uncle, yes. Oleg? Well... In 1945, Igor went to collect tribute from the Drevlians, who had stopped paying tribute in 912. I think I said 1945. I meant 945. Anyway, they had stopped paying tribute in 912, and I'm guessing that the interest was a real bitch on 33 years of quote-unquote gotten-back taxes. But seriously, when his uncle died, they quit paying because they thought that he was kind of a pushover and they weren't going to pay um, tribute to him. So it's reasonable. Yeah. He decided to take his men and collect that tribute. It is important to note that the, the Drevlians were a very proud Slavic people who had been vehemently against the Kievan Rus regime since they had once had their own princely rule. And in fact, you will hear later they call their ruler a prince still. Igor successfully collected his tribute. And here is where I receive a mix of details to the story. He either sent the majority of his army home and returned to the Drevlians with just a handful of men, or he returned later in the month and tried to collect a tribute a second time. So you force these guys to pay you tribute who didn't want to pay you tribute, kind of considered you a wuss. Now you're making them pay you tribute again. And greed is a hell of a thing. And who knows? He might have said, pay me half of the 33 years worth of back tribute now, half later. Or maybe pay now and I'll be back to collect the rest without giving a date. You know how people like that are. Or possibly he was just greedy and wanted to punish them. We don't know because 90% of all of the written records that were created during the medieval time period are now lost to history. A fun fact that makes me sick when I think about it. Kind of like the destruction of the Library of Alexandria. Just yeah. makes me sick when I think of it. Damn it, history. Damn it. 
I mean, the reason Greek fire is mysterious is because the recipe has long since been lost to us and we still can't recreate it. So, I mean, that's something that I think about more than I should. Like, so, like healthy minds don't think about this. If, uh, if your neighborhood suddenly goes up in flames, I'm going to be like, oh, shit, she was experimenting again. Yep. Don't blow up the neighborhood. I mean, no. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. You, you and Barry, I don't think you should get together because, yeah. <laughs> Barry and I could take over the world. Oh, Christ, no. God, no. Or at least set a large a large swath of, of America on fire accidentally. And we already, that's easy to do already. I mean, nature's doing that for us. <laughs> and dumb people smoking in the woods. Yes, yeah, don't. Yes, Just yes. If you must be in the woods, vape in the woods for Christ's sake. no. I think Barry and I would get up to some more chaotic mischief, like oh, training God. a murder of crows. No, I'm just picturing you with your seagull army dropping Greek fire on your enemies. Caca, motherfuckers. Caca. Oh, God. <laughs> Speaking of, caca, motherfuckers, is going to be on some the merch we have coming out. Oh, yes. Out. Oh, yeah. And I will be getting one of those t-shirts because that is one of my favorite things you have ever said. <laughs> if you live in the Northwest, you know, caca, motherfuckers, it's a real thing. Oh, motherfuckers. Oh. Anyway, Greedy McGreederson goes back with far too few men to collect tribute from the Drevlians for a second time in one month, and they decide that they're going to show him exactly what they think of this by bending two birch trees down to the ground, tying a leg to the top of each of the trees, and then releasing them. So Igor was torn in twain. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. This is giving us the first example of why it is important not to be divided as a ruler. But um punch. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Seriously, though, this incident did lead to what was the first recorded case of legal reform in that part of the world when the system of tribute gathering was later changed to polity. I believe that's how that's pronounced, which was similar to the Vikings' right of hospitality and allowed the chiefs to pay in anything of monetary value, including furs or slaves. Not surprising that Olga was the one who came up with this choice of reform, as we will soon see. After Igor's death, the rightful heir to the throne of Kivian Rus, three-year-old Sviatolov, Sviatolov, that is how you pronounce that. That's a great name. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to name my next cat. Sviatolov. Sviatolov later known as Sviatolov the Brave, he was too young to assume the a throne. He was three. Yeah, so you don't mother. really want a three-year-old telling you what to do. That's not, no. that's bad. No, you don't want a 13-year-old telling you what look, to do. I mean, look, look what happened from 2016 to 2020 and beyond. You really <laughs> don't want a three-year-old telling you what to do. Yeah. So his mother, Olga, assumed the throne as queen regent as the first female ruler of Kivian Rus. However, being the first in anything, especially when you're a woman, is never easy. 
trendsetters are often the first considered strange or brave for their rebellion against societal norms. And in a time when women were shrieking violets, the Trevlians could not have known that killing the one person that was holding back a storm of sheer terror by the name of Olga was a terrible, terrible mistake. Thinking that they were going to become the new reigning power in Kivian Rus after killing Igor, the Drevlians sent a proposal of marriage to their prince, Mal, the man responsible for Igor's death, to Olga, along with the news that her husband had been murdered by the man who was, quote-unquote, proposing to her now. And history might have called it a marriage offer, but it was more likely a veiled threat at best, believing that they would easily force a helpless woman and her infant into submission and gain power over the region. However, Olga was extremely clever. She, and I'm going to use our favorite word here, allegedly told the emissaries and this does come from um, the primary chronicles so your proposal is pleasing to me indeed my husband cannot rise again from the dead but i desire to honor you tomorrow in the presence of my people return now to your boat and remain there with an aspect of arrogance I shall send for you tomorrow, and you shall say, We will not ride on horses, nor go on foot. Carry us in your boat, and you shall be carried in your boat. And like Carried said, to hell! Yeah, right? So this account comes from the, the Russian Primary Chronicle, and it is considered the most historically accurate account of Russian history at the time. So, as hard as this is for me to believe, the source is legit. And thinking that they were going to be honored, the Drevlian emissary did what they were told and returned the next day after being demanded to be carried as if on palaquin once they were summoned by Olga. What they didn't know was during the night... Olga had ordered a large trench to be dug out wide and deep. So wide and deep that when the people of Kiev took the Drevlians, who they were carrying, on their ship over to the trench and threw them in, oh, ship and all, they would not be able to escape as they were being buried alive. Wow! It is said that as the group was being buried alive, Olga called out to them, asking them whether they found the honor to their taste. Wow, she that that is that's a cold Olga. Wow, right? Like dig a trench, throw them in, bury them alive. And knowing that a simple burying alive of a group of emissaries was not enough to stop a forcible pursuit from the man who killed her husband. Olga, queen of fuck around and find out, sent a message back to the Drevlians, instructing them to send 
They're distinguished men to her in Kiev, so she might go to their prince with all due honor. You know, because they don't know their people are dead yet. Nope. Nope. See, that's, isn't that, like, sometimes you watch movies and you're like, God damn it, they should have had a cell phone. They could have known. They could have alerted. In this case in history, you're like, it's really good they didn't have cell phones. Yeah. 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 No, no, you know, Dark Ages cell phones. Good. It's good. Yeah. They were really seriously underestimated the badassery of our girl and what happened to their messengers and what could possibly happen to the people she was demanding in a way to kind of be treated of her station. But, you know, it said that they gathered the best of their men who governed their land, so the the best of their nobles, and sent them to Kiev Rus to escort her with honor back to their prince. When they arrived, Olga met them and told her men to prepare the bathhouse for them so she could welcome them with honor after such a long and difficult journey. I feel like this is not going to go well for them. Oh, no. (laughs) No, it is not. She told them that after they bathed, they would appear before her, pretty much making it mandatory that if they wanted to meet with her, they had to bathe. And once the group of Drivlian officials were all in the bathhouse, Olga then released the order to bar the doors and set fire to the building, burning them all alive. Yeah, it's some Wicker Man shit right there. I mean, it was clever. It was a sad waste of a bathhouse in a time when too few <laughs> bathed, but, you know, clever. I mean, I, I guess, like, I'm trying to figure out the exchange rate between ripping a person in half using trees and, like, burning people, a, a delegation alive in a bath, like, what is the exchange rate between those two types of, of, of murders on the whole vengeance stock exchange, you know? Um, well, according to Olga, nothing, because this is a drop in the bucket for what's about to come. Oh, geez. So she then sent another letter back to Maul, Prince Maul, the Drevlian prince, and told him to, quote unquote, Prepare great quantities of mead in the city where you killed my husband, that I may weep over his grave and hold a funeral feast for him. Now, you and I are not new here, and we know a message like that is extremely sus. However, old Prince Maul probably thought that this poor little woman was playing along with his wishes and wanted him to pander to her needs a bit. So what you're saying is he's about to be hoisted on his own misogynistic petard? Yes. I am here for it. The mead was prepared, and Olga took a small band of her most trusted men with her to have a funeral feast at Igor's tomb. And the Drevlians, who were in attendance, drank the mead in great quantities. Once they were good and sauced, displaying a very strategic mind, Olga ordered her small group, who had been abstaining, and uh, like I guess in hiding, like I'm going to pretend to drink this mead, 
and ordered them to kill the Drevlians without mercy. Yeah, well, that's, uh, yeah, no, I, that's expected. 5,000 Drevlians were slaughtered that night. And that's like, okay, in, in just general, that's a horrifyingly large number. But if you think about how small the population was compared to now, wow, that's a fuck ton of Dreblians. Yeah. Still unsatisfied, Olga returned to Kiev and raised an army. Now, knowing that she destroyed 5,000 people with just a small group of warriors, the thought of what she can do with an army is staggering. And, fueled by the revenge she needed for the loss of her husband and the audacity of some male of the pale variety, she then led her army into battle against the Drevlians, winning the skirmishes and pushing the survivors all the way back to the very city they murdered her husband in, Ikorosten, which was their capital. She and her army then laid siege to Ikorosten for a year. A year. She laid siege to the city for a year. And after a year of laying siege to the town, Olga finally decided to use that clever and devious mind that she has already displayed so aptly in the story and she sent them a letter which read, and this is a total fallacy, but it was smart. Why do you persist in holding out? All your other cities have surrendered to me and submitted to tribute, so that the inhabitants now cultivate their fields and their lands in peace. But you had rather die of hunger without submitting to tribute. Yeah, no one was cultivating their lands in peace. That, that was a lie. But, you know, smart. The Drevlians, who at this point did not trust Olga as far as they could toss an elephant. Which is smart. I mean, yeah. they finally wised up like, oh, no, this is, this is, this bitch is shady and not to be trusted. Mistakes were made. Yes. They responded with their own message that basically said that they were happy to surrender, please leave, and pay tribute to her, but that they didn't believe she didn't still want to avenge her husband's death. I'm kind of with them, I gotta say, on this, this particular point. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that, that was smart. Olga, however, reassured them that the blood she had been soaking their ground with up until that point was enough to slake her thirst for revenge and that if they were just to give her three pigeons and three sparrows from each home she would go on her way why do i think that's not true well my first question is what the fuck was up with the birds like what, what are you doing with those yeah what are you gonna do with the pigeons and the sp what are you doing what's up so what many are you questions up? So I know what she's questions. doing. She's making a exactly what she, what Barry would do. Training a on army, carrying Greek fire army. Yeah, yes. or a yes. Greek fire carrying bird army. The birds are going to to rain fire on her enemies. That's what I'm saying. Yes, actually. So, like, we have a lot of pigeons in Seattle, but we would be hard pressed to find three per household. So, I. Of course. I, I mean, start maybe, researching. 
maybe there were more was there a lot of pigeon keeping back in the day because okay the interesting thing about pigeons is they're not like a wild animal like here they're not but they were very much cultivated in the same way that like chickens and stuff were so maybe but the sparrows thing like nobody kept snack sparrows around they weren't like sparrow roll-ups or anything. yeah I, I don't know i got nothing i got nothing so from what i could find and I, I I mean, it's not much. I did find uh, somebody, somebody who said that um, they would use the pigeon eggs, much like chicken eggs. Sure. But I guess it was just very common for sparrows and pigeons to build their nests in the eaves and haymows of houses. That makes and, sense. They yeah. would be ubiquitous. Also, I'm trying to imagine you, like the query, what's up with the pigeons, Google? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that was just a search rabbit hole that I went down, and yes, what I asked it was a series of random. Uh, why are there why are pigeons so many? Yeah, why are pigeons in medieval yeah, houses? You're like you're like Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, what what's the deal with the pigeons? What's yeah. the deal? Yeah, I, I yeah. pictured. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so that's what I got after searching. Um, so if anyone out there does know anything about why birds in houses, why, birds? why birds in birds houses. aren't real? You know this. The internet knows this. <laughs> also, I love that like there's all this murder and mayhem, thousands of people being burnt alive and 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 ripped apart by trees. And the part that we're hung up up on is what's up with the pigeons? Yeah, yeah. Why birds? Why birds? Why birds in medieval Ukraine? Sure. Please email me at disturbinginterest at gmail.com because my bitch ass still wants to know. Like, seriously, why birds? Tell me about the pigeons, George. <laughs> I'm crowdsourcing here for this one. So my second question about the birds is why would the Drevlians believe that she wanted them? Like, after everything, it's... It just... What? And it's, I feel like she is pulling our leg. Right, she's planning something. Yeah, no, and this don't trust okay, this. But sure, maybe they were like, maybe she's lost her mind. Maybe if we just give up the pigeons, she'll go. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe the grief finally got to her. But the answer actually kind of came in the message that she sent to them about the birds, because she was clever, and it seemed that she was still appealing to their assumption. Uh, that she was just some sad lady <laughs> whose husband had died. Sad, you know, some... murderous lady yeah. whose husband had been ripped apart by trees. Sure, yeah, you okay. know, the fairer sex. So therefore, okay. underestimate Fair her. Pigeon-loving sex. Yeah. Sure, okay. According to the Primary Chronicles, she said, Give me three pigeons and three sparrows from each house. I do not desire to impose a heavy tribute like my husband, but I require only the small gift from you, for you are impoverished by the siege. At this point, you would think that they would know better than to trust her when she brought up her husband, especially if it was in the negative. Like, what? Did they not see all of the giant red flags waving unrelentingly warning them that this is a bad idea i like to imagine what the city looked like the day after they made the announcements to round up the pigeons and sparrows 
Like, saw these people running around with, like, nets and shit. Yeah, what were the logistics? Was every house <laughs> expected to catch their own birds? Like, what did they put the birds in? Did oh my god, have- everybody, all of the people that were in charge of, like, weaving all of the, the you know, birch bark bird cages wow yeah that that wow that would be an undertaking right did they have did they take the birds from the individual cages and then put them into like one large aviary type contraption on wheels i don't know did they count the houses versus the birds like i have so many bird related (laughs) questions and no one around who can give me the answers there are no bird actuaries that we can talk to aviary actuaries none none if any of you ever wondered how I would use a time machine if I ever have one, <laughs> I want you to know. Go back in time and count them birds. I'm yes, birds. I would be answering my questions like this instead of averting tragedies. Like, really, I wouldn't stop the bird collecting. I would just request the logistical knowledge of the bird collecting. <laughs> I would like your manifest of pigeons, please. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am a UN bird observer. (laughs) So once the mighty Olga collected her bounty of birds, she then rode just far enough outside of town to lull the Drevlians into a false sense of security. And she then had her soldiers each take bits of sulfur and tie them to the feet of the birds with twine. Aha! She totally made a Greek fire berry bird army. She did. Holy shit. Maybe my dad, I mean, maybe this is my dad's ancestor. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So the birds were then released to fly back to their homes to nest in those highly flammable nests hidden in the crevices amongst the capital homes this is insane this this is i'm horrified i want to call pata pita right now and be like go back in time pita save the birds like i i don't care about the people but save those poor birds <laughs> i i like to believe that the birds just chewed the twine off their feet feet that's that's okay. what i'm choosing that's to gonna believe preserve here. our peace yes. at night okay yes so returning under the cover of darkness all it took was a single spark to ignite the sulfur pieces that had been scattered throughout the entire city. And it's uncertain if this was done by flaming arrow, infiltration, or just dumb luck. But the result saw every last building in the capital burnt to the ground. Yikes. Olga ordered that any survivors fleeing the city should be captured. And so every Drevlian left alive after the year-long siege of their capital, man, woman, and child, noble or serf, was either murdered, taken as slaves to be given as prizes to her men, or left alive to rebuild their fallen city and pay her a proper fucking tribute. Dang. Like, I feel like this woman should be the patron saint for the IRS. <laughs> because if Olga is going to destroy your entire society, she's going to leave enough living to monetarily thank her for it. 
Now, wow. You might be asking yourself, holy hell, Regina, how was this woman ever called a saint? Yeah, After I'm like, all, boy, the Catholic Church is bloodthirsty. Yeah, I mean, she led a blood-soaked campaign of vengeance that lasted for over a year and killed thousands because they murdered her husband. But in the name of the Lord? Because no. I feel like that's a popular thing. Look at the Crusades, etc. So, no. yeah. She did it in the name of vengeance. Okay. That's what she did it in. <laughs> and never pretend it, it pretended it was for any other reason. And, you know, I like to believe that I would lead a reign of terror against anyone who tried to harm Mr. Meow. But I think I'm just a romantic like that. I just hope you'll leave the pigeons out of it. They did nothing. Those poor innocent nothing. pigeons. <laughs> Can you imagine me trying the sparrows to sparrows in the other hand? They know what they did. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Your dad and I are going to train our own flocks of seagulls in a murder of crows. Oh God. Those are the, those are kind of like the gangsters of the bird world anyway. They so they, they they'll are. be in on it. They'll be excited about this. You know what? I'm I, one day I will have a murder of crows. I have spent far too long researching how I can train a murder of crows to not make this happen. And why? Because I have no self-control and an internet connection. So, after returning to Kivian Rus, there were still many other matters happening that Olga had to focus on to govern her country. One of the primary concerns was the treaty with the Byzantine Empire and Emperor Constantine VII. After all, she may have just shown the world that she was far from weak, but this also made her more desirable to those who sought to possess or subjugate her. You know, like an emperor. And by the 950s, when Olga journeyed to Constantinople to meet Emperor Constantine VII, she had already proven herself as a very wise leader in her policy reform, the establishing of civil services that benefited her people, but according to several notes in the Primary Chronicles, she was also very attractive. There is no documentation that I know about, at least, that tells why Olga went to Constantinople in the first place. The Primary Chronicles focuses more on her conversion to Christianity there and less on the motive for why she journeyed. But I'll read the following passage as it's recorded. The reigning emperor was named Constantine, son of Leo. Olga came before him, and when he saw that she was very fair of countenance and wise as well, the emperor wondered at her intellect. He conversed with her and remarked that she was worthy to reign with him in his city. When Olga heard these words, she replied that she was still a pagan and that if he desired to baptize her, he should perform this function himself. Otherwise, she was unwilling to accept baptism. The this emperor, is a weird seduction. This is, this is odd. Oh, this is brilliant. Hey, baby, dunk me in your holy water. Oh, she was brilliant. You shall see. The emperor 
with the assistance of the patriarch, accordingly baptized her. And when Olga was enlightened, she rejoiced in soul and body. The patriarch who instructed her in the faith said to her, Blessed art thou among the women of Rus, for thou hast loved the light and quit the darkness. The sons of Rus shall bless thee to the last generation of thy descendants. He taught her of the doctrine of the church and instructed her in prayer and fasting, in almsgiving, and in the maintenance of chastity. She bowed her head, and like a sponge absorbing water, she mm. eagerly drank his teachings. The princess. Bowed... Girl, this is some like medieval Christian Chuck Tingle we got going on right I here. I know, right? Right? The I'll princess... drink your teachings, baby. Mm. Mm. <laughs> of the patriarch. The princess bowed before the patriarch, saying, Through thy prayers, holy father, may I be preserved from the crafts and assaults of the devil. At her baptism, she was christened Helena, after the ancient empress, mother of Constantine the Great. The patriarch then blessed her and dismissed her. My favorite part is where they refer to her like a sponge eagerly drinking in his teachings mm, that yeah that's that's kinky mainly it's because it was soon revealed that olga did not exactly convert to christianity oh, no. with the intention of becoming a saint or even nah. a true believer <laughs> i'm not sure why the primary chronicles so often label her as a princess instead of a queen but it's an old book that was probably written by old men who cared a little about a woman and even less about her titles. I However, think of her as queen, like with a K-W-E-E-N, oh yeah. queen. Yeah. Queen, girl, queen. However, that's just my personal opinion and not a guaranteed fact, so I'm not sure why. It is said that Olga was baptized under the name Helena after St. Helena, mother of Constantine the Great, a very important figure in the Byzantine history, and another possible indicator that the emperor was preparing to make her his empress. Like, that's not a title that's easily handed out, right? For sure. Yeah. No, he's, he, I, I feel like he's got, he has designs. However... Like I keep saying, Olga was clever, far cleverer than any of the men who came up against her have anticipated. Well, yeah, I mean, seriously, anybody that isn't like a a dude of the prevailing uh, racial component, you have to be two to three times as good as that person to be considered even like they're half equal. So, yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, with the possible exception of Igor, we don't know how he he treated her. We really know nothing about their, their proper relationship. But she loved him enough to try to wipe out an entire freaking people, except for the small remainder who were left behind to pay for money. So, I mean... We gotta expect that Igor respected and understood the queen that he had. Yes, yes. And she wasn't about to give the rule of Kivian Rus over to anyone other than her son. So, when the emperor asked her to become his empress again after the baptism was finished, Olga 
flexed her knowledge of Christianity as a response. I will read another passage from the Primary Chronicle. After her baptism, the emperor summoned Olga and made known to her that he wished her to become his wife. And she replied, how can you marry me after yourself baptizing me and calling me your daughter? For among Christians, that is unlawful, as you yourself must know. Then the emperor said, Olga, you have outwitted me. And he gave her many gifts of gold, silver, silks, and various vases and dismissed her, still calling her his daughter. Oh, she got vases. That's not, Vases are nice. I like a vase as a gift. A good vase, Bob. Yeah. Yes, yes. As, nice. as they do in Constantinople, apparently. Yeah, apparently a vase. I, yeah. I'm going to go get some vases. So basically, he she became his goddaughter in baptism to avoid marrying him. I, again, we stand a queen. Yeah. Queen. Of course, the veracity behind these events is still wildly debated, and there is no certainty that her baptism to the Christian faith occurred like this. What we are certain of, though, is that she did make efforts to convert her people once she returned. And even though her son would stay true to his teachings of the old gods, her grandson, St. Vladimir, as he would later be known, would carry on the conversion of the pagans to Christianity in their region during his lifetime. And Olga would be attributed to bringing the religion to the region, period. Which is how she earned the epithet equal to the apostles. What I like is her son was so vehemently against Christianity. Like, he mocked the conversion from the strong old gods to some weak guy. Because that's how he kept Some referring. punk ass who got, got hung up on a popsicle stick. Yeah, it's I always think about that, like, your god lost. Kind of, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, if you're, if you're a Norse pagan Viking, you're looking for strength. Yeah, it's kind of hard to bitch. That's a hard sell. Also, like, you're looking at, at myths that are like, yes, the shape-shifting pansexual multi-gendered loki dude uh turned himself into a horse and then had some horsey sex and now we got a 900 legged uh steed like why would you give that crazy shit up for like a sad man that died for your sins do you feel bad about it you should feel bad about it do you feel bad feel bad yeah i i don't yeah no no i want mythical multi-legged horses and world serpents and trees and crazy shit like that not uh not Giant wolves yeah 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 not fish on Friday, fuckers. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm more, yeah. And again, we're, we're hemorrhaging Christian listeners. All five of you. <laughs> Iceland, this is why you need to welcome us. Oh, we're not going to be welcomed in the South. <sighs> we follow the old ways. I've been getting a rash of Mormons trying to convert me at my house lately. And oh, no. I'm, I am oh, about no, no. to put up a sign on my door that says, we have God here. They are the old gods. Thank you, but no thank you. You know what? Maybe if that starts happening here, I'm just going to build a little wicker man, like a like a model, to stick it in the front front patio and be like, with like a sign that says, this is you, with like a Barbie <laughs> inside of it. Yeah, that's... 
I like that. That's yeah. that's my kind of jam. This could be us, but you're praying. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so during Olga's life, she would bring priests in from Germany and Constantinople and build churches in the attempt to convert her people. But as descendants of Vikings who followed her on one of the hardiest fuck around to find out campaigns the world has ever seen, her people were not welcoming to the new religion. Probably not, no. Yeah, no. And it's said that the priests kept being killed in resistance to the conversion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Apparently, she brought them in. They kept on just being snuffed out. Olga allegedly lamented on her deathbed that her attempt to make her land a Christian nation had ended in failure. She was very upset about it. Allegedly, our favorite word. Her grandson, Vladimir, like I said, was actually the one who successfully converted the pagans to Christianity during his reign. But his reign is a crazy tale all on its own, complete with sibling murder and throne seizing that is straight out of a scene of Game of Thrones and would probably take another episode in itself to tell you all about. However, maybe you'll do the sequel. Maybe. What else could we expect from the grandson of the patron saint of fuck around and find out, though? Right? And uh, she really did some amazing things in her reign. She established hunting boundaries. She took care of her people. She was a wise and just leader after she rained holy vengeance and terror down on a you know one particular group of people. And that, my friends, is the tale of St. Olga of Kiev, first of her name, queen of badassery, patron saint of widows and converts, burner of cities, mother of dragons, breaker of balls, and one of my all-time favorite heroes. Nice. I think if anybody is going to get you to convert, it's going to be her. Yeah, yeah, because you don't want to tell her no. No, no, you don't. <laughs> Anyway, so that's my story. Do you want today's do something? Yes, I do. Oh Please tell God. me the do something doesn't involve uh, burning pigeons. No, no okay, pigeon good, good. burning Shoot. on okay. this one. Feeling better. Okay. So because this is very Ukrainian based, the, in fact, the area that this is all of my story took place in is literally where the war is happening right now. I encourage you all to go to unicefusa.org and help the children of Ukraine. Because right now, there's a horrible, horrible war going on, as we all know. And uh, the people of Ukraine need all the help that they can get. So, Damn straight. Yep. And, although, I mean, I'm feeling like, go guys, go. Slava Ukraini. Because, like, wow, they just sort of were like, yeah, no, look at it. Look up here. Look up here in the, over in this area in the south. Yeah, we're doing all the stuff in the south. Gotcha in the north, bitches. Like, that was pretty cool. That was, you know, I'm fingers crossed. And I'm, I'm hoping that this 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 trend of routing the Russians is is hanging on for them. You know, this is some bullshit. You know, we've been hearing stories of great heroes who have rose out of this conflict 
people who are like 80 years old and shooting down freaking planes and taking out tanks and you know the ghost of Kiev. I mean, these these are the people who are the descendants of Queen. Fuck around and find out. So I'm, am I surprised that no. we are rising to the uh, occasion? Not no. at all. But uh, do we still need to help them? Oh, one hundred possible. Yes, because they are are truly the underdogs in the situation. Yes, but they are also in the right. And we need to help them in every way possible to prevent them from being oppressed in a way that they shouldn't. One hundo. Yep. That is my story today. That was excellent. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. A ripping yarn, if you will. <laughs> well, ripping, blood letting, bathing ripping in blood. In sense of the ripping in the yes, but yes, 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 yes. And on that note, I guess we will say take care of each other. And remember, you might be disturbed, but you are not raising a pigeon army to rain fire down upon your enemies. Or maybe you are. I don't know. You might be. It might be a crow army and seagulls. But you're not alone. Thanks for listening, friends. Please remember to like, subscribe, and tell a friend, and check us out on social media. On Facebook, we are The Disturbing Interest Podcast, Twitter, podcast underscore DI, Instagram, DI Podcast, or if you really want to send us something, you can send it to our P.O. Box at 70515 Seattle, Washington, 98127.